let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey, you guys! Welcome to Outposts of the Heaven, episode 100. 100. Добро пожаловать в Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. Okay, thank you for your Russian accent. <laughs> um, welcome to Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. We're so excited. We've made it into the 100s. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. The reason I spoke Russian is on today's episode, we are going to be answering some listener questions about our missionary experience in Russia. Yeah. So, this is exciting because this is how we met. It is. And I think it's such a huge part of our lives and we talk about we talk around it so much and about like little aspects of it so frequently. It's going to be fun to kind of answer some some questions about it. Yeah. Um so first of all, what is a mission? Because we have some listeners that are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who do know what a mission is when we say mission. Right. And we also have listeners who are not familiar with the term mission right. as we understand it. So when a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints refers to their mission or a mission or serving as a missionary, uh, it's referring to a very specific service, right? So I know mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of other churches, they'll have like missionary trips or they'll have people who are missionaries who are missionaries like their entire lives. Uh, but in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, young men are expected, we believe it's a commandment from God, to serve missions for two years. Uh, and young women have the option. They can go if they want to. They're if they have the desire to, they're strongly encouraged to go. Uh, if they do not want to go, however, there's no like expectation. Um, it's just a, a thing that you can do that's really beneficial. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. The Lord will be very grateful for for the service of those young women. Uh, but young men go for two years. Young women go for a year and a half. Uh, you, When you're ready to serve, you send in your paperwork. That's what we call it, your mm-hmm. papers. Uh, and the young men go at 18 yeah and young women can go at 19 and that's been that's been changed in the past young men would go at 19 and the women would go at 21 yeah and the ages have changed over the past couple hundred years and the length of the missions have changed and you can go later you can go up to i think 26 is the oldest you can leave at now Mm. but yeah so you sent you send in your papers to the leadership of the church uh, and they pray about it and they assign you to go to one of the four, over 400 missions. I think there are 450 oh. or something like that. Only that many? I think so. Here, I'll look it up. Okay. So they assign you to go and then now they send you an email and you get this like little electronic packet telling you where you're going to go and how long you're going to serve and what language you're going to be preaching the gospel in. And then you have a few week course 407 missions there we go 407 Good guess, baby. um so they 
um, you get to go to something called the Missionary Training Center. Right now, it's a virtual Missionary Training Center because of COVID. But before there are, before all of this and after all of this, there will be uh, several physical Missionary Training Centers around the world. You go for a few weeks, and then they, uh, as one of our friends so eloquently put it, drop kick you to whatever country you're going to, and then you go there, and you preach the gospel for the term of your mission. Yeah. It's just so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's and just, I mean, I remember um, putting my papers in and like this, this anticipating wait. It was just like you could go anywhere in the world and like you have no idea. Yeah. And it's a, um, uh, it's such a cool experience. And when you're there, it's like, that's the only thing you're doing, right? Like yeah. you're not, you're not there to be a tourist. You can do, sometimes you can do touristy things. But depending on your area, depending on your area, depending on the leadership and in, in your mission, uh, and and depending on the circumstances, uh, but you're you don't watch TV, you don't read the news, um, you, you don't have like social media. Well, okay, things have changed drastically since we've been on our missions. Right. So right now, a lot of missions have social media. Uh, but it's, a, we it's were like not, they, they have social media as specifically as a missionary tool. Right. right? Not just to have their own personal right. social media. Like at the time when we went, we did not have social media. Yeah. We had those clunky phones that. Like the brick phones. They're like brick phones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what else about missions was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So you're, just, you're very, very focused. You're not, you don't even listen to your regular music or you don't yeah. read like fictional books for fun like you're just 100 percent focused all you do all day every day is missionary work and that missionary work and it's basically you meet with members of the church and you teach and help them learn the gospel and you also are out on the street you're out walking around you're out teaching lessons just you're finding people that you can help come you closer to help, Christ. Yeah, you can find people to serve. You can find people that are interested in learning about Jesus Christ. Um, you're basically there to teach the gospel. And yep. that's exactly what you do all day, every single day. And it's awesome. And it's incredibly exhausting. It's very exhausting, but it's so fun. Yeah, it's super it's fun. It's really great. And it's very strict. Like You have to, you have to be in bed by 10.30, up by 6.30 every morning. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's very strict, but it's super, super awesome. Yeah, super rewarding. Okay, so I think that answers our question about what missions are mm-hmm. like. Um, and we, the question we received from a listener specifically asked, like, as compared to other faiths. Yeah, it said, are your missions different from other Christian faiths? For example, Catholicism. Catholicism? Ca- Catholicism, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Catholic, Catholicism. <laughs> uh, it's funny because you can say catechism, but that's a different yeah. thing than Catholicism. Um, sorry. But I don't really honestly know a lot about other missions that other faiths do. Mm-hmm. Besides what Andrew already mentioned, which is like service trips and... Um, People I don't, I don't who like know. go as mission, like go serve as missionaries for long periods of time. Yeah. Um, like, but I, I am not super familiar with Catholic missions. Actually, no, I have no idea. I've heard of like Catholic service missions, but I don't know like what pre- Catholic preaching missions look like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's something that only the clergy does. Uh, this might be another thing to bring up. Actually, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, we don't have paid local clergy, and our missionaries aren't paid clergy either. Right. So our missionaries are volunteer 
we pay our own way or our families help us pay our own way uh, and we go and volunteer for two years and or a year and a half and um yeah i guess and it's everybody who is a fully participating worthy member of the church can serve a mission mm-hmm. who is like capable physically emotionally and mentally Right, there's like an application and stuff. You have to get like yeah. doctor's notes and dental stuff done yeah. and all the stuff. And by worthy, when I say that, like there are um, several questions that you have to be able to answer, like whether or not you're keeping the law of chastity, which means that you're not having sexual relations outside of marriage and you can't go when you're married as a young missionary. You can go later when you're married, though, when yep. you're elderly. When you are elderly, yes, that's <laughs> true. Uh, and so like there, there are like a string of things you have to... You have to be living in accordance with to be able to, um, to be able to serve. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I don't really know what other missions are like, but that's what ours are like. Yep. Um, one question we had, which kind of had us reminiscing today about when we got our mission call was, do you have any connection personally to Russia that made your call less of a shock? Why don't you go first? So... yeah having moved around a lot i kind of missed out on some history and by some she means all pretty much all history lessons like the only ones i remember i remember taking american history that's it like which also should have brought up russia at some point i know but i really maybe i spaced that but i really (laughs) like didn't even know that people lived in russia (laughs) But at the time, I really, yeah, when I opened my call and it said, like, you are hereby called to serve in the Moscow, is it Russia, Moscow? Russia, Moscow mission. In the Russia, Moscow mission. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, who am I going to teach? The penguins? Like, who lives in Russia? Penguins live in Antarctica, I know. Yeah, they are only present. They also live in other places other than Antarctica, but they're all in the southern hemisphere. Okay, yes, but, um, yeah, that was my first thought. (laughs) And I really didn't know that... That penguins lived in the south, south, uh, the southern hemisphere. Well, I didn't know that either, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I just... I was like, wow. Like, I didn't know that they sent missionaries to Russia. I had no idea that there were Russian missions. Like, I just really... Had, had you was ever... Was clueless about that part of the world. Had you ever heard of the Soviet Union? No. <laughs> I know. I just blew everyone away. But at the time that I got my call, I did not know what the Soviet Union was. <laughs> I love you so much, honey. Mm, it's oh, a good thing. Man. I know. I know. I feel like I just ruined my entire, like, Woo! uh. All your street history cred? All my street cred. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just don't hate me, guys. I'm sorry. Especially any Russian listeners that we have out there. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, again, I think it's just because she moved around a lot and... I just, like, my history got all skipped and jumbled and I just really yeah. didn't know anything about Russia. And, like, if I remember right, your family's not, like, really big into history, right? Like, it wasn't, like, a topic you guys We never up really lot. talked about history, I don't think. Yeah. Not that I remember. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't part of our normal conversations. Well, it so. was in my family, so... Well, Andrew's a history buff, so his experience is very different. Yeah, mine was very different. I Emily went with to Russia with like no. I had zero expectations. expectations. I knew that it was going to be cold. That's it, and, and I, that Russian would be hard to learn. I went with a lot of expectations. 
Uh, my experience was very different. I don't remember a time when I did not want to serve in Russia on my mission. I remember being a little four-year-old. I think I was four watching Anastasia, the movie, and like getting excited about serving my mission in Russia. Like it was like it was something that you it was just like a, had a knowing it was about. like a predetermined fact in my mind like I was going to serve a mission in Russia and for again which is for, crazy because like we said we don't choose where we go right like, it just gets assigned to us right. by the Lord um and what was I gonna say uh oh so ever since I was young. I wanted to serve my, not that, it wasn't just that I wanted to serve in Russia. It was that I knew I was going to serve in Russia. Um, there's this really dorky game that little boys play that are members of the church. I don't know if girls play this, but like little boy members of the church. <laughs> what is this game? Little boy Latter-day Saints would take a globe and would spin the globe. Yeah, we didn't do this. Well, I didn't do this. I never thought I would go on a mission. Oh, so. okay. Well, for us, it was like a predetermined fact. Like, right. If you are a righteous Latter-day Saint, like... Man. You, yeah, man. You go on a mission, or at least you prepare to go on a mission. You might not be able to go on a mission for health reasons or whatever, and that's totally honorable, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you can, the Lord expects you to go. And so I think that was just an expectation that the Lord has set forth and that we believed and so like that was just part of our culture and so we would play this game where we take the this globe and we would spin it and then you press your finger down on it and wherever your finger landed like that's where you're going to go on your mm-hmm. mission and so we would play that game and i would always like try and hit russia which is super easy because it's so dang big <laughs> and so it's like if you hit like this the latitude that russia was on you're either hitting like alaska russia or like Canada or like the Scandinavian countries so like it was a pretty good chance that you were going to hit Russia Um, so that was I I just remember always wanting to serve in Russia when I was 16 I said okay well I know I'm going to serve in Russia again you can't know that right yeah there's no way you can know that except for the spirit somehow told you through a a knowing right that you just knew Uh, and so I said I'm just going to I'm going to get Russian Rosetta Stone and I'm going to work at it and I I worked at it fairly hard Um, I don't know how much of an advantage it gave me because you were you advance so quickly in the language when you are in the Shkola Misinerov was of MTC and I felt like I wasn't remarkably better than like my other my classmates of the other missionaries who were there with me I might have had like a little bit of leg up on them in the beginning like the first week yeah, and I knew some random words that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. But there were several missionaries in my group who had studied it beforehand as well. Really? Yeah. Wow. A lot of the, I think, like, all the sisters, actually, except for Sister King. Maybe, I came in knowing or... the alphabet, but that was it. And you go over that day one, and then you you move on. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, I guess I just got ahead for one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, so when I, are we, we're going to talk about opening our calls. Right now? We can talk about Go right for now? It, yeah. We want to talk, have you talked about yours already? Just that I didn't know where Russia was. Well, like, who who is there for your call? Like, what is it like? It used to okay, be like a yeah, packet yeah, yeah. that was mailed. Yeah, so, I mean, when we went out, it was a packet, and you would wait. Um, and I, I was in Rexburg, Idaho at the time going to school, and we would get those packets, I think, like, on Thursdays. And everybody knew, like, okay, it's coming on Thursdays. Like, who got their mission calls kind of thing. 
and my packet came in the mail and I just like slipped it right into my backpack because I was like, okay, I can't open this until like I can call my family. And then my roommates, um, like I wanted them all to be around. And so we kind of had like a, just a little roommate party and I opened it and yeah, I was blown away. I was shocked. Completely flabbergasted. At least it was called like Moscow and not like Yekaterinburg. Yeah, I mean, I knew or, how to pronounce Moscow. Or like Dnipropetrovsk. That's my yeah. favorite listening to, to English speakers trying to say. Yeah. There's a mission in Ukraine, or at least there was. I don't know if it's still there, but it was the, the Dnipropetrovsk mission. Yeah, I got lucky. The I Moscow. didn't have to struggle over saying, saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so mine, I was living... So I guess back up a little bit. Uh, Emily and I were some of the first to go at the earlier age. We said that there was a change in the age. So it was 19. um, And I turned 18 the end of September 2013. And then the first weekend in October of 2013, they announced that the age was changed from 2019 to 20, or to (laughs) from 19 to 18. I had, like I said, I had just turned 18. And I remember I had been praying, like, Heavenly Father, I don't know how you can do this, um, but is there any way I could go on my mission early? <laughs> like, if there is any possible way, please let me do it. I am dying to go on my mission. I am super not happy where I'm at. There's a whole, like, thing about where I ended up school-wise. Like, I was supposed to be at West Point. Uh, and I wasn't able to get in for some stupid, stupid reasons. And I ended up at LDS Business College, which was an awesome school. But I was I was really missing out on that. I was like, oh, I was supposed to be at West Point, like one of the, the coolest academies in like the world. And now I'm at this, not a rinky-dink school, but it's a small school. And I loved it, but it was it was hard for me emotionally to be there. And to like be living with my grandma and not kind of be in this weird limbo stage. And so I was praying that I would be able to go on my mission early. And then they changed the age. And I, my calling, like what I did in the church, in my congregation at the time was I, I helped my bishop with his uh, interview appointments, like his interview list. And so I texted him right away and said, hey, you have an interview with me ASAP. <laughs> uh, and then he told me which day was available. And so my papers were done like within a week or two. So I was like in the first batch of 18 year old missionaries to go to Russia. Mm-hmm. So my family's all there. Right, so my, my parents were in Louisiana. Um, but my, I was with my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and cousins were there in Utah, in Utah. And I had my packet and I opened it up. And you didn't look beforehand, right? I didn't look beforehand, but I just knew that I was going to Russia. Like, the only way I was going to be surprised is if I went somewhere other than Russia. And I read the paper, and I thought, like, I'm go- I'm- I've been called to serve in the Russia, in the, yeah, the Russia-Moscow mission. And I remember thinking, oh, I better make sure I act surprised or really excited for everybody else. I was super excited, but it wasn't a surprise to me. Like at that all. That is so crazy. Yeah. That is flabbergasting, <laughs> flabbergasting. to me right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so for me, it wasn't a big, big surprise. And, and like I said, I, I'm a big history buff. And so I was 
very aware of, like, Russia's history and everything they'd gone through. Not like I am now. I'm much more educated about Russian history now, but I wasn't... I wasn't thinking there were penguins in Russia, let's say that. <laughs> and you knew what the Soviet Union was. I did know what the Soviet Union was. I definitely figured that out very early on on the mission. <laughs> okay, what's the next question? Yeah, okay. How difficult was it to learn Russian? Very difficult. It was it was difficult. And I say this now. Why don't you go first and I'll talk. I don't know what to say other than it was very difficult. What was difficult about it? I feel like um, one of the hardest things is just that every word changes. Like there are these things called cases. And every single word, almost every single word that you use, like changes it just changes all the nouns change depending on what the verb is or what what where it is in the sentence or how it's being acted upon or if it's acting and so that's just hard to keep it all straight and to use the right yeah. case it's like for example english has some lesto- leftover cases and you see this with pronouns and so um he right so like he wants to do this but you say like i love him and so he changes to him when it's the subject, not the object. Or no, yeah. the object, not the subject. So yeah, when it's the subject, it's he. When it's the object, it's him. Uh, and Russian has that, but there are s- six different cases. Yeah, generally there are six different cases. Um, and each case is used in a specific uh, situation or with specific prone or specific... Um, oh my gosh. Like ah uh, or za prepositions. Prepositions, okay. I guess za is an exception, but yeah, different prepositions, um, and so it's it's very difficult. And I think for me, the hardest part about Russian, and I say this now after you know, having learned Spanish, is I, I felt like every phase of learning Russian took so much energy. Yeah. It was just it was a pain to try and memorize words like you it would take a long time to figure out how to pronounce a word correctly mm-hmm. because they're so long and there are so many consonants. Yeah. Um, and it was just it's such a like a different way of speaking. Yeah. Not I mean, regardless of like the words. So like taking out the fact that you're speaking a different language. <laughs> <laughs> They just talk differently. So, right. like, instead of saying, um, I want him to take a bath, you would say, I want so that he already took a bath. I want, this, I want so I that, want he, took so that he took a bath. I want so that he took a bath. Yeah. Like, already. Like, it's just, like, a, such a different way of speaking. Right. Or, like, instead of saying, like, I want him to take a bath, like, if you said, I want him like you can't. And how? Are, never mind. I don't. Know. Uh, well, I'm just like I, messing well, myself. I up. think ah! having sp- like learn a third language, I would say that this isn't something that's unique to Russian. No, it's unique to learning a language. Right. Because every language, like the ideas are different. Right, but I think Russian is is especially difficult because of the pronunciation. Um, it is very very difficult for foreigners, especially Americans, to get right. I mean, it's difficult for for Americans to get to learn any pronunciation correct or a pronunciation of a foreign language of any language correctly. Uh, but Russian's especially difficult and the case system is really difficult. So you don't have to just memorize now, like a noun once and you're done. Like you have to memorize all forms of the noun. Mm-hmm. And so like 
the noun has a different version in each of the cases, and some of them are the same, but then they also have a different version for plurals mm -hmm. in each case. Um, and so there's just a lot of extra heavy memorizing that takes place at the beginning, and then, more so than other languages. Yeah. And then pronunciation, um, the soft sign. Do you say pronunciation? I say pronunciation. I say, I definitely say pronunciation. How do you pronounce pronunciation? Pronunciation. Okay, well, I say pronounce. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, was, I just forgot what I was going to say. I don't know. It's oh, okay. Well, um, in Russian, there's a lot of like hard sign and soft sign or like hard letters and soft letters. Yeah, so every consonant has a hard version and a soft version. And so I feel like as Americans, we speak with hard syllables or hard um, consonants yeah for the most part and russians use a lot of the soft which sounds funny because you always think that like russians are like the language seems so like firm and scary and hard and rough but really like there's a lot of soft sounds yeah it's really really beautiful but it's very difficult for an american to right. do well, spanish think... speakers do really well with that yeah they do a good job with with the soft if if they have a harder time with like the harder consonants, mm -hmm. but they do a very good job with the soft consonants. Whereas Americans, like native English speakers who are only English speakers, have a hard time with, with the uh, with the soft consonants. I think Americans almost sound like a little Bulgarian sometimes when they speak because Bulgarian is like is a very hard language, like it emphasizes the hard oh, yeah. consonants more. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny. Russian is actually one of the more flowery flowery. Of the Slavic languages, I think Ukrainian's probably the most flowery, mm -hmm. and then I think it's like Ukrainian and then Russian. Yeah, it's really very beautiful once you understand it. <laughs> yeah, I think Russian is is a very very pretty language. I know a lot of people are gonna hear that and think that we're crazy, but there are few things more beautiful than listening to like a, an like a very educated Russian speak like Russian poetry mm -hmm. or I kind of just, even just like speaking just normally speaking normally. It's like, wow, it's so beautiful. Yeah. There's a very cool like sing song, like cadence to it almost yeah. because the language, um, because of the case system, it's super easy to have everything rhyme. Yeah. And what happens is you'll have like a long string of words that are in the same case. And so it will, It'll flow really, really, really well and also makes Russian rap very good, I think, <laughs> like it, because it makes it so easy to have so many different um, cool rhymes and rhyme structures. But yeah, so that's my experience with Russian. How long did it take for you to feel comfortable with the language? That's, like, that's say, a, a frequent question that we get. Yeah, I want to say about nine months I was able to like say what I wanted to say. And understand a lot, but not everything. Yeah. I think I was much sooner than that. I think it was probably four or five months before I... And I might not have been... At, I definitely wasn't as good as you were at nine uh, months. Well, I mean, I wasn't very good at nine months. <laughs> but. <laughs> but I think it was. I was just more willing to kind of put myself out there and make mistakes yeah. and make a fool of myself. Which is the key to language learning, is making a fool of yourself. As awful as that is, like that's the key. Right, it really is. Otherwise, you're never going to learn. Yeah. Okay, next question. Okay, we, let's see. So we were in Russia at the same time that everything broke out in Ukraine. So one of our questions was, 
were we? Do you want me to explain what happened in Ukraine yes. first? Okay, so the question yeah, was, so what were we? Were we affected by what happened in Ukraine, the civil war, unrest, etc., and how? Okay, so fast or rewind to 2014, 13, 13. Started. It's all kind of started rumbling up in 13. Okay. I was with Bozov in Smolensk, yeah. so it has so to 13. be. Yeah. So it started then, and then I really came to, it came to like an actual war in 2014. Okay. Uh, but there was a conflict between a couple different groups in Ukraine. One group wanted to become part of the EU, and one part wanted to distance themselves from the European Union. Uh, and the president at the time, Pyotr Petrashenko, like did some stuff that they didn't like and was like pulling them away from the EU. And so people freaked out. And then it just started like there was, there were rallies and then there were suppressions and there was rallies and suppressions and rallies and suppressions. And then next thing you knew, there was like an actual shooting war in Kiev. And then it expanded into the Eastern part. There were two, they call them oblast or oblast, but yeah, so one of them is an oblast, multiples oblast. Um, it's basically like a it's county a state. Or a state. It's a state. Yeah. Oh, it's a state. It's okay. a state. So it's the Lugansk and oh my gosh, what was the other one? I don't know. How do I not remember this? I don't know. I don't remember. Was it Donetsk? Either. I don't know. I think it was Donetsk. Yeah, Lugansk and Donetsk. Um, they. I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, I'm, it's pretty sure it's Donetsk. So they um, kind of rebelled against the central state, and that's where a lot of the Russian-speaking Ukrainians live. And so they started fighting against the Ukrainians, and the Ukrainians started fighting like the Russians were were sending in troops and and weapons and stuff, and to support the Russian-speaking Ukrainians, and then Western states started sending weapons and stuff to the ukrainian government and so it's this big big mess that that's what was going on in ukraine and it's still technically going on it hasn't hasn't ended and russia went in and took over crimea they said crimea is now ours so that's what i remember from the mission yeah but i mean like we kind of talked about in the beginning we don't have access to news or anything so we really didn't know a whole lot about what was going on yeah um but i did hear about the crimea yeah being like taken yeah yeah. So my fear was all of a sudden there were like billboards everywhere that said Krim Nash, which means like yeah, I remember that. Like Crimea is ours. Yeah. Like okay, okay. what happened? What's going on? Yeah. The last time I checked, that was part of Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to historical issue. Like Crimea was part of Russia, but then it was given to Ukraine as part of a Soviet Union land grabbing thing, trying to split up power and make the the satellites kind of like angry at each other and so there wasn't any ability for them to work against the centralized state so there's a lot of cool history with that yeah. anyway how are we affected so, besides reading um, cream nash everywhere yeah um i think our missions just got progressively more strict with what we could um how we could act in public what we could say um and i don't really know if it was directly because of that or like just snowballed into other things politically. Um, but I don't really remember anything specifically because of 
the Ukraine situation? Oh, there were tons of things. Okay. I know you probably don't remember. I them. probably don't remember, or I just was maybe a little bit oblivious. Um, I do kind of. I maybe I'm just remembering wrong, but was there like at one point like a day or two where we just stayed home? I I think there was. I can't remember for sure, but I I feel like that's I feel right. like that was. In my memory. There were several days throughout the year where they would just tell us to go back to our apartments. Yeah. Um, and I think this was one of those occasions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other than that, though, I mean, there were, as our missions progressed, like, we couldn't have English groups anymore. We couldn't, like, if we saw other missionaries, because there are several missionaries sometimes in the same city. Um, and so, like, if I saw Andrew like across the street or in the grocery store, like we couldn't say hi. We had to just like pass by and not like talk. Yeah. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't speak any English outside. Yeah. So um, Americans took like a really big credit, not credit, like rep hit in Russia because the Americans, America was helping the Ukrainian government in the war against the, the rebelling or the rebellious states. Uh, and the Russian state media was hitting, like, it was pushing the narrative that the Americans were behind all of this and were orchestrating all of this pretty hard. And so we couldn't stop and talk to the missionaries because having groups of Americans talking together brought too much attention. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of incidents of people getting beat up or chased or those kind of things. Well, it's kind of like, it's the Russian way to not draw attention to yourself. To not I feel talk. Like, yeah, you don't. I mean, they don't talk in public. Like, um, it's just very quiet. You focus on you, and when you're walking, you just you walk. When you walk, yeah. you walk. <laughs> that At least makes sense. in the big cities, definitely. Yeah, it's very like you get where you need to go, and that's yeah, it. Like, there's not there's not like small talk at the cash register. Right. That's or, super not. Or like you're you're like looking at milk and then somebody else is also looking at milk next to you. You don't like make some quip about milk prices or Yeah. That's not a usual thing. Right. Now in like in the out outside of the big cities, that's different. Like in the smaller country type towns or especially yeah, the smaller different. restaurant or the smaller um magazine length, like the smaller little stores. Mm-hmm. Um the especially the older women will will start talking to me all <laughs> <Yeah>. the time. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, so gathering as missionaries would draw too much attention. Um, and then about halfway, a little more than halfway through my mission, um, we were asked to not wear tags anymore. So we couldn't wear our tags except for in the church building and missionaries, you'll see like they have black name tags Mm -hmm. that say like sister downing, which I was sister downing. And then the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints at the bottom. Mm-hmm. in russian it was all in russian um so we we couldn't wear our tags anymore which yeah it was sad at the beginning but then we got yeah you could it. wear them in church but that was it yeah uh so there were actually quite a few other things that were going on yeah why don't you why don't you tell so us? because um of a number of things because of the war in ukraine there were like crippling western sanctions on russia and those coincide at the exact same time as a drop in oil prices, which wrecked the Russian economy. The combination of the of the uh, sanctions and the oil price drop just destroyed their economy. And like 
to put it in perspective, like there, when when I got there, the value of the ruble was like thirty three oh, rubles yeah. to one dollar, and mm-hmm. there was one day where it was like eighty nine rubles to a dollar. Yeah, um, I totally remember that. Yeah, and then it like it leveled back out at like sixty one or sixty two, and so the their ruble lost half of its value, like pretty much overnight, and then it would fluctuate to be even worse on some days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there were a ton of people throughout the mission and throughout the, the country that were really suffering uh, financially because their, the value of their currency went way down, but the cost of foreign products stayed the same. And there was a lot of foreign products that they relied on. And so that was just, it was rough on a lot of our, a lot of our members and a lot of people we were teaching uh, and there were a lot of trainings on like how to help people and like what financial assistance was available. And that might've been more, I might've been more aware of that because I was in a leadership role where I helped give out, um, church welfare assistance. Right. I wasn't involved in any of that. Um, but it made the biggest impact for me is I was in an area, um, where we had several refugee families where the husbands were still fighting in the war in eastern ukraine and i i went there and i helped them find jobs i helped them find apartments i was able to provide a lot of strength and and training i guess and i i I got really close to these refugee families um and we did a lot of work with the refugee camps it's not camps but they had refugee agencies in the area in in that city and so we did a a lot of work with them and those relationships were probably the strongest relationships i developed on my mission because they were just so destitute they ran out of their homes right as like the their neighborhoods were getting shelled um by artillery and so they were just they had nothing. They didn't even have their papers because they had to get out so quick or quickly. And I was able to develop a really, really strong relationship with some of these families. One in particular that is, def- this is the family that I keep in touch with most from Russia. Uh, and so that may- play- had a big impact in where I ended up serving and whom I ended up serving. And then my last transfer, so the missions are like kind of broke, your time's broken up into transfers in six-week segments. And all like changes of area and getting new missionaries and leaving home is done in accordance with those six week cycles. And my last transfer I spent as a traveling missionary. So I didn't have an assigned area. And part of what I was doing was I was going around and finding these refugees that had been like scattered. There were members of the church, but had been scattered across Western Russia um, some of them were not refugees, but they'd also been scattered for various reasons. And so I traveled a long way for six weeks, just like finding all of these people and like reconnecting them with the church. That's such an amazing last transfer that you got. It to was. It was the best. I could not imagine a better. That was so cool. Better last transfer. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what was the weirdest food that you ate? Oh, man. Uh, I think we probably have the same... W- same two. Well, there's a, there's three that I'm thinking of. What's the third one? Well, you you say the first one. Uh, so chaladets. Yes. Is a absolutely. weird one. It's not actually that bad. It's kind of weird. Oh, I don't like it. It's gross. It's kind of like, and the problem 
that people have with it is that you can't describe it in a way that doesn't sound disgusting. Right. But chaladiets is like a gelatinous. It's like if you took chicken soup and you turned it into jello immediately. Yep. It's meat jello. It's it's like chicken. <laughs> it's not just chicken though. There's like like carrots and stuff. Yeah, there's like onions and carrots in it too. But yeah. I, I I just couldn't get over the texture thing. It was a little weird. Yeah, um, a little bit weird. Um, the one that I'm thinking of is this like, it's like this salad, like this like potato salad thing, and you you make soup out of it by pouring kvass in it, and yeah. kvass is like carbonated, non-alcoholic like beer yeah it's like a fermented bread drink that it's, doesn't yeah and, and didn't have it has like a it has as much alcohol as like yogurt does. so you you eat it like you have this like salad in a bowl and you pour kvass in it and you eat it like cold soup it's very interesting yeah and then I, I, yeah that was a weird soup not i i didn't hate it i didn't love it i, I don't know. I, I don't it like it was weird but i i liked it it was fine i i don't like mayonnaise macaroni soup or salads that's and actually not just russian though. i know i know but russians do a lot of that they do a lot of that yeah lots of salads with a ton of mayonnaise they love their mayonnaise yeah sometimes on a pizza instead of pizza sauce they put mayonnaise oh that was gross that's disgusting oh <laughs> the nasty russian pizzas they did have like papa john's and they had good pizza there too yeah but they also had like nasty mayonnaise pizza well the cool thing about like fast food there or like papa john's or something is they make it so fancy like oh yeah those kinds of restaurants are like like fine dining yeah so like you have like wrapped silverware and like a waiter comes with like a tray with your drinks and it's like yeah. super fancy well that like, that's because when um the fast food restaurants moved into the former soviet states uh there they had like street food vendors. So like imagine different like food niches. Mm -hmm. So they had street food, uh, but they didn't have like Chili's or Ruby Tuesdays or Texas Roadhouse mm -hmm. or like Olive Garden. They didn't have like that level. And so the, a lot of these fast food restaurants came in and said, hey, why don't we move into that space? And so we'll right. be, we'll fill that role in these former Soviet states. And, and so instead of trying to do this, instead of trying to be McDonald's, like McDonald's in the U.S. is kind of like, man, like I'll go there because it's convenient and like I like their fries, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they kind of went in with the mindset, let's be Olive Garden, right? Not that high, right? But right. I mean, McDonald's wasn't that high, I, but like we went to a really fancy pizza hut. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just kind of cool. It's different. I, I would say fast food places over there, like Western fast food places are somewhere between like a five gay, five guys and cafe Rio and like a, a Chili's. Mm -hmm. I would say somewhere between there. If you could imagine like a, a separate niche or like level of food type places, that's yeah. what most of the fast food places are like in, right. in Russia. And yeah. of course there are like, that's not always the case, and so you'll get some that feel a lot more fast foody. But in general, they feel fancier than they do mm -hmm. in the U.S. Yeah. Um, one thing that I didn't like to eat that Andrew did like was sala. Oh, I love sala. It's basically like fat, salted. It's like pork salted fat. pork fat, and it's hard. And you slice it, and you put it on bread. Dark bread. 
Yeah. It has to be dark bread. I don't like it. And you have to eat it Oh my gosh, cold. there was this one thing that I ate. Hold on, we have okay, to give Salah its I'm due, sorry, I'm okay? sorry. Giving Salah So Salah is the best when it's really cold um, because it's, there's, I mean, it's just fat. So there's so many calories in there. But when you're in like freezing cold for that long, you like you need to eat a lot to keep up your your body warmth and so the solid just felt so good uh because of all of the calories in it because you felt like it was kind of like keeping you warm it's kind of like drinking a cold gatorade during the summer Mm -hmm. like how satisfying that feeling like that satisfaction can't be duplicated in the winter yeah but eating solid during the winter is just Oh man, mm-hmm. I had sala, like homemade sala in the country in this tiny town called Dukhavshina in western Russia, like an hour away from Smolensk. And this guy also gave us milk that he had taken from his cow that morning and also <laughs> and put like he heated it up and put honey in it from his own bees. It's oh like my gosh. So natural. It was so natural and then he put it on on like rye bread that he got at the bakery that morning. It was like the best thing I've ever had in my life. It was so it was so satisfying. I love that they have bakeries everywhere. Yeah. And they have like pastries and that like that's really cool. I like the yeah. way that they have like breads. I feel like their bread's pretty good, but their pastries aren't super good. No, not really. They don't but, do pastries very well. Well, I like those uh what do they call them with the the bullets? They're like stuffed, yeah. Yeah. They stuff like this roll with like ground meat or like a uh, cabbage onion mix. Yeah. Is that really a pastry good. though? I don't know. I don't know. When I think pastries, I think sweet. So do I, but it's kind Maybe of it's like not. Pastry. I don't know. But um, there was this one thing I ate, and then we can move on. But I, this was like one thing that I just could not do. And I'm pretty sure my companion, like when you're, I don't think we talked about that. But when you're serving on, like on a mission, you will always have a companion. Like you're in sets of two. And so um, we were eating with this family and I think my companion had to finish mine for me because I just could not do it. Oh, the gribay? The what? Gribay? No. It was a piece of bread with like a half inch of mayonnaise on it. Oh. And then it had ikra. like ikra on the top. Oh. Which is... Caviar. It, yeah. Caviar. Right on top, like loaded up on the... Yeah, they use caviar like yeah. butter. Yep. It was, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I had like three bites and I was like, please finish this for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then there was one time we ate, I, we were like in the middle of nowhere and this lady made us lunch. It was very nice. And I actually liked it, which is really crazy because I don't like seafood, but she like slapped a whole fish on each of our plates, like spread out across the whole plate. It was like a foot long. You weren't supposed to eat freshwater fish. I didn't know that. I ate the whole thing and I picked around the head and everything. Like we ate the whole thing. Wow, that is very weird for you. That's super weird for me, guys. <laughs> I don't do fish. <laughs> oh yeah. man. We didn't say our favorite Russian food. No one asked us well, that. Well, I love no one yeah. But um I mean I really like the bakeries. I love, love, love borscht. I love she. I love She's another type of soup. Yeah. Borscht is actually they the do soup Ukrainian so well. soup, and she is the Russian soup. Um, one of the members would make us this um, kadletki, which is like uh, kind of like fried meat, kind of. Well, well kadletki is just like patties, and you could have like meat kadletki, and you could have kadletki from, from potatoes or yeah. carrots. Or... But, I mean, and I had had them at other places, but I really like the way she made them. I don't really know why. But... Yeah. 
Very, very, my, very tasty. One of my favorite things that we'd eat in Russia all the time. So two things. One, they have really good like cream sodas. Oh, they do, yeah. Oh, and juice. Yeah, very good juice. But their cream sodas were very good. They had one called Tarhun, which is this bright green, black licorice flavored Oh, it's really soda. good. It's super good. Really good. I didn't love black licorice before my mission. And it, I don't think it tastes a ton like black licorice. It's just like kind of reminiscent of mm-hmm. it, but it is super, super good. So if you have a chance to go to a Russian store, look for Tarhun. Um, and Dushis. And Dushis. Yeah, Dushis. It's, it's like a, a pear. Pear, like sparkling cider. Pear. We might have to drive to New Orleans oh, it's so tonight. Good. Like right now. We need uh, to drive to New absolutely Orleans. Absolutely not. It's 11 o'clock. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a Russian store in New Orleans. That's why I say that. Uh, but I love shawarma. Yes. Shawarma is so, so good. So, Like on um, the street on that big slab of... Yeah, they, yeah. it's like their tacos over there. So they, they have like, instead of having taco stands everywhere, they have shawarma stands. And they take this really, really big, thin bread. It's kind of like a tortilla, but it's bigger and it's thinner. It's called lavash. Yeah, so it's really big lavash. And then you t- they have this, like, these racks of meat and that are on a uh not a spindle what is it called kind of like a a skewer skewer thing yeah yeah that's like upright if you've been to like like vertical yeah if you've been to like a middle eastern or like a a greek restaurant restaurant, you've seen it and so they'll cut the meat off and then they put it in the lavash and then they put like cabbage and carrots and tomatoes and some really good sauces and then they put it like they wrap it up and then put it in a press like a panini but it's so good and Mm -hmm. i've I've had a bunch of different kinds and so all the missionaries would say oh this is the best shawarma in the mission we'd always try and compare and so if you go to a different city you have to go try like their the missionary's favorite shawarma stand Uh, i love shawarma i miss it really bad yeah, the really only awesome. shawarma I found that compares to it was in Morocco. Morocco. Oh my gosh. Yep, Morocco. There was this That's like, so good. someone literally like punched a hole in their wall <laughs> and was selling shawarma out of their, like out of their living room. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was the best. So we yummy. bought two and then bought, it went back the next day for, for, for shawarma. More? Yeah. It was so good. Okay. That was good. Okay. What was, uh, oh, I guess we kind of covered this, but what are you allowed and not allowed to teach in Russia? Uh, so we were allowed to teach pretty much anything. We couldn't knock on doors, which is a very common finding technique. Yeah, they call it tracking. 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 We, we never did it because we weren't yeah. allowed to. I actually did it a couple of times because I wanted my greenies to okay. experience it. But yeah, we, I never did. We it. weren't supposed to. Actually, I was like, I was unsure, and then I was like, kind of sure, and then I said, I'm just gonna do it, and then ask for forgiveness later. Probably <laughs> not the best thing to do, but I wanted the experience at least a couple of times. Um, but. Yeah, we were able to teach the gospel. Um, We used to use, like, in the beginning, we used English classes to try to, like, attract people to learn more about us and more about the gospel and kind of try to help them feel comfortable around us. But then... And to be of a service, right? Because there are people who are trying to learn it and want to be of a service. Yeah, but then they were like, you can't teach English anymore. Yeah, so before we, we, would do, we would talk about r- random things like work or school or food or sports in English during English club. And then at the end, there would be a short spiritual message. But uh, there came a point because some 
of, because of some laws that the Russian Federation passed, we couldn't have English club uh, and talk about anything other than the gospel. And so we had to like start teaching uh, having English club in or about church topics. And like our um, attendance went way yeah, down. Yeah, everyone People, was like, uh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> we don't mind. So that. <laughs> that was that. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, when we were there, we were like the end of the proselyting missionaries. By proselyting, we mean missionaries who were able to go around and actively preach the gospel gospel. and and find people and so there were a lot of restrictions and we had cops pull us over all the time and investigate us and look at our papers and um make sure we were legit yeah you had to wear your like all of your papers in a little like pouch underneath your your king of pouch yeah Um, which had like your passport and like registration stuff yeah but, I, um, I had a couple cops like point their AKs at us and like, give us your papers. Like, you can give us your papers right now. Like, you're not supposed to be here. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, we are. Here's our papers. We were allowed to. And then I was never taken in for questioning, but we had a, a bunch of missionaries who were. Um, but missionaries now are a lot more limited. Yeah, uh, they're not even like called missionaries, right? They're called volunteers. Right. They legally cannot be called missionaries. Okay, so, so they're they volunteers. Volunteers. And they're not allowed to proselyte. Yep. So they are able to teach, but it's always like indirectly and they can't do a lot of active direct finding. And like the situation there is constantly changing. And so I don't know what the current situation right. is like. I know what it was like six months ago, but I haven't talked to anybody from. Especially since COVID. I have no idea. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have some friends serving there. Actually, I should probably reach out and ask them what they're doing. Yeah. So there you go. Um, do you have a moment that stands out as the hardest moment of your mission? I don't. I don't like, know. It was, there were hard patches, but there was no like moment where it was like, this is the hardest. I feel like the Lord was really... The Lord uses hard moments to teach us lessons, right? Like mm-hmm. the, He doesn't give us hard moments just because. Like You have hard moments to learn something, and I felt like I had hard moments regarding different aspects of missionary work or being a member of the church or being a follower of Christ or being a human. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one, if I had to pick the hardest moment for me, I was in Tver and I was helping one of the refugee families. I don't know if I've told you this story. I think I have. Okay. But um, we were trying to help them. They had moved in with a member because we had brought them into our town and we asked, we were trying to find them a place to live and a member said, hey, I'll let you, I'll let them stay at my place if you can like help me pay for like food and stuff because she wasn't super wealthy and we said that was fine and uh, we dropped her off, we dropped this family off with her two little girls at this member's house and then the member like freaked out and I don't remember exactly what happened, but she was doing something ridiculous and was like making the little girls cry and was scaring them. And so this mom whose husband was literally fighting in a war in Ukraine calls us like bawling because she didn't know what to do. Cause like, because that lady had that sister, the member of the church had like kicked her out. Uh, and oh my so, gosh, you and, had not told me this story. It's like like 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my companion and I are like, um, okay, we'll do this. We packed up all of our stuff and we called a taxi. We brought our stuff to the church building. 
and then we left our stuff at the church building, and then we went and grabbed them and let them, I brought them to our apartment. And we said, okay, you stay here for now mm-hmm. until we can find you a new place. So then began our month-long stay in the church building, where we had to like live in the church building. And they, we didn't have an air mattress. We didn't have sleeping bags. or I don't think we even had blankets. So we spent the first night on the... I, I slept on a row of chairs because they didn't even have carpet. It was like yeah, tiles like linoleum. or linoleum. And so we had like Relief Society chairs like stacked up next to each other. And there were the ones that had the metal legs that came up above the side of the chair. Oh, no. It was awful. <laughs> um and some of the members heard about it and they felt bad for us. So they got us an air mattress. Um, and the reason I bring this up is we were trying to find them an apartment. And I had never found an apartment on my own before, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like 19 or 20. I can't remember if I was 19 or 20. No, I think I must have been still 19. And so my companion and I are like running around trying to find an apartment in Russian. In Russian. Um, <laughs> oh and gosh. we never used this language before. Mm-hmm. And so we, we go to a a, uh, a real estate firm, a realtor, and we contract with them to help us find a place. And I didn't know how much money we should, be, we should expect to pay, how much was too much, how much was too little. And I had never used church money in like a welfare situation. And so I didn't know how much you expect people to deal with because i don't know like do you say okay this place is is too nice or it's not nice enough like i didn't know where that boundary was mm-hmm. that, and that freaked me out yeah um and so we go to we went to a bunch of different places and we couldn't find one that worked because it was too far or it was like in a weird area and i think honestly we, we found a couple that we could have insisted that they get but they weren't very nice. And so we said, oh, we'll keep looking. And then um, another week or two went by and the sister hadn't made a choice. And I think there were a lot of things that we did wrong in that situation because we had never done it before. Um, And then one of the members calls us and said, hey, I found a place. Come come here so you can check it out. Tatiana, which is the sister, she's going to meet us at the church building too. So we get in his car, we drive over to this place. It is like legit in the middle of a abandoned factory. So you like drive in through this like gate and uh, there are a bunch of like holes like cut into the sides of these buildings where migrant workers are living, like undocumented migrant workers are living and like illegally remember like just in case that's unclear and there was this one room on the second floor of one of these buildings that they could that that was for rent and it didn't have a bathroom it it had one faucet on the first floor that was like in a it wasn't even in a shared area it was just like out it wasn't outside it was like it looked like a, a shop and then there was a hose in the on the first floor um and i felt terrible like she's gonna have to end up living here because this member is like dead set on it and Mm -hmm. i have no backbone or i have no experience to say no like i have no Mm -hmm. and i called my mission president and i told him like 
president, like, she can't live here. Like, this is a terrible place. And he said, Elder, like, I grew up in a place where I never had warm water. Like, I, like, this, like, what do you mean? The, what, what is the problem? And I, I didn't have, like, a, a way, I didn't know how to express it. But he, like, pressed me as I realized, like, I was, like, kind of being too soft. Like, I didn't, I never put my foot down and said, hey, we need to make a decision. Here's an option. You need to take one of these options. She just got comfortable in our, in our apartment because it was, mm-hmm. like, a, it was in a super nice apartment, but it was comfortable and mm-hmm. it was free. And our mission president was, like, just, like, he kind of, like, pushed me and, He's like, what do you want from me, Elder? Because I kept asking what we should do. He's like, what do you want from me? And I was like, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm here. I'm 19. I'm trying to put this <laughs> refugee family in an apartment. And I just got told by a member and you and this other member that we have to stick them in this abandoned factory. And I feel bad because I feel like their two little girls are going to get attacked because they live That's in a terrible. terrible area. And I felt awful and i remember i was on the phone and i just like i i put my back against the wall and i slid to the ground and i just started crying i was like i have no idea what to do i am this i have never felt more overwhelmed in my life i'd been sleeping on a crappy chair for a month and living family though yeah it it ended up being really good because they ended up living there and it was okay and they were safe and then they got out really quickly and they moved to a different area oh good um and it was a good lesson for them and a really good lesson for me. But it was like the time where I felt the most overwhelmed. And there were lots of other really, really hard moments, really hard points. But that was the time I remember most vividly. of Like, oh my gosh, I am completely in over my head. I've never done anything like this before. And now like people's lives are directly being affected by what I did and what I wasn't able to do and my lack of experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very intense. Yeah. I don't have one memory that stands out really like clearly as being the hardest moment, but I really, really struggled with the idea that every person that I didn't talk to, like it would be my fault for the eternities if they never had the gospel. <laughs> yeah, like the opportunity cost of not, uh, not speaking to people. Yeah, because I... I grew up really shy, super, super, super shy. I would have stomach aches to even just raise my hand in class. Like, I don't know what, like, pushed me to serve a mission besides God because that was not on my radar. I was way too shy for that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I ended up doing it anyways, and it was so good for me. So, so good for me. Um, but that was a huge struggle for most of my mission was just the guilt of, um, well, first of all, like the, the struggle of opening my mouth and inviting people to church, inviting people to English club, um, just trying to make small talk and be outgoing and happy. And right. Cause a lot of these things are super difficult in your native tongue. Right. But to do it in another language that you don't really speak. And a lot of the times people would respond. I have like 2% idea of what they're saying (laughs) back to me. But all I know is that I'm supposed to open my mouth and say something. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so every time that, like, I mean, I would work myself up so hard just to say something. And then when I chickened out or got too scared, like, that guilt would just Mm. haunt me. And it was just a terrible feeling to to battle that for most of my mission. That That was really hard. 
I'm sorry that my answers are so long and long. No, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> that was, a, I mean, a good story and, I mean, a really sad story, but. Yeah. It was a good story, though. It was. It, I learned a lot, and then that family learned a lot, too. No, that's good. Okay, quickly. So, yes. The most, most rewarding. Mo- yeah, why don't you go first? Okay, I'll go first. So, my... I have, I have three, and I'll try and say them all as quickly as possible. I think, like, though, I have kind of not, like, one moment or one day where it was, like, yes, like... Even though I had weaknesses and even though I struggled through my mission, um, it was worth it. And Heavenly Father is proud of me and my Savior loves me and he's grateful for the service that I've given. And that was my last Sunday on the mission. Um, We had been working with this man um, and his family to, I guess he was baptized Um, but the rest of his family wasn't, and we had just been, like, going over every week and teaching him and his family, but he wasn't, like, committing to come to church, and we just were, like, trying to get him so hard to come to church, like, please just come to church, (laughs) and he just, he kept making excuses about it, um, and would never come, and so my last Sunday, um, I, I fasted for the feeling of like accomplishment and the feeling that um, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ were proud of me and that this man, Alexier, would come to church. Alexander, we called him, because he wanted to speak English, and so he wanted to be called Alexander. Um, but he ended up coming, and it was like, this miracle of miracles because it was such a fight to get him to come to church again. And he, he did it and it was amazing. And he was so happy to be there. Um, and then at the same time, it was just like this whole culminating ending of my mission that, um, Alexander came and I was with my companion at the time was the same person that I ended up, like I trained in the beginning of her mission. So I was with her for who, her first two transfers or those first 12 weeks. Um, it's very rare that you serve with the same person twice. And it was just really, really amazing that we got to serve with each other again for my last transfer. Um, and then someone from my very first area traveled all the way into Moscow and came to church and surprised me on that last Sunday. And it was just, it was just like the culminating miraculous moment. And it was, it is enough. Yeah. It was definitely that it was that like, it is enough. I accept your service. Like I'm so proud of you type of moment to me. And it was perfect. Man. My last Sunday was so different than your last Sunday. Was it terrible? (laughs) My last Sunday I was on a train. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I had my last sacrament meeting on a Saturday, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Or was it, no, it was a Friday. I think it was a Friday. Yeah, I had my last sacrament meeting on a Friday because I was, um, I had been given authorization to get on a train. This is not my story, but just show, I feel like mine was a good culmination of like how weird my mission was because I, we had two old sisters, like elderly sisters that had not seen anybody from the church in like five or 10 years. And they lived up in this oblast or the state called Arkhangelsk up on like the North Arctic sea <laughs> and it's like 23 hours from Moscow by train. And we, at that point we weren't allowed to take night trains. So I had to take two separate trains to get there. Cause I couldn't be on a train at night. And I, because of that, I was given permission to 
be there on a to give to give them the sacrament on a Friday. So I spent two days going up there, met with them, gave them sacrament, gave them blessings, brought them some stuff from the church. Um, we had a really cool, super crazy sacrament meeting and testimony meeting, and then I got back on a train and then I came back so I could leave for home on like that Monday or Tuesday. Um, so that was my last, my last, uh, sacrament meeting, but my mm. most rewarding, so most rewarding moment. This has been a very long episode, but I, I've really this enjoyed this. Really I hope that you have, you are enjoying this as much as we're enjoying well, it's it. It's been fun for us. It's so. been fun. Okay. Real quick. Um, these are not in order of importance. I'm just going to list them. Okay. Uh, I was able to teach and then actually baptize two awesome people. It was a couple, a young couple, Sasha and Allah. So, so nice. This adorable, awesome, fun couple that I was super close to. They're so cute. And it was just like the perfect, it was like teaching friends, right? Like there wasn't any awkwardness about it. There wasn't anything weird about it. It was just completely normal, completely like chill. It was like the ideal, like their friend introduced them to us who was a member and he called us and said he actually called around to vet to make sure we were good yeah, missionaries didn't he say, like here's my friends like don't mess up yeah anything. he's like don't mess up and okay <laughs> yeah so i was able to baptize them and it was such an awesome couple their baptism was amazing definitely like the most fun teaching experience i had on my mission um the next one was one of those refugee families i was talking about they had a son um and he was 17 and at the time the missionary or people could not receive the Melchizedek priesthood which is the the higher priesthood which um, if you are a worthy holder of the Melchizedek priesthood you can do things like give people blessings so in, in the new testament it talks about like, the elders of the church laying their hands upon the sick and those kind of things and that's what that was re- referring to uh, and so being able to do things like that, and um, that's what you could do with the Melchizedek priesthood. But I was able to start the petition process to give this young man the Melchizedek priesthood when he was still 17, even though they usually wait till they're 18, because I, I argued that the blessings that it would bring his family uh, justified giving him the priesthood early wow and that went up the chain and i got the approval and so i was able to ordain him and give him the milk i didn't realize priesthood. he wasn't 18 yet yeah so it was it was a definitely a peculiar circumstance but he wasn't in high school he'd already graduated and his dad was way in the war and he his dad wasn't a member and so they were living in a a foreign land and so <laughs> the area presidency gave the approval for it Uh, so that was really cool but the last thing um was something that was actually really hard for me but was really really rewarding um so we taught this one guy super crazy story i won't go into it all but he lived really far away from the church building and so he wasn't able to come to church very frequently like very like maybe three or four times a year wow uh because he it was like an overnight trip for him to come to church Mm -hmm. And he had been taught by the missionaries that worked out at the mission office. And they had taught him over 50 lessons 
when I moved to the the branch where he would attend. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I started teaching him um, and we were trying to help him get to church so he could get baptized. And I taught him for like three or four months before he was able to get baptized. And when he decided to get baptized, he wanted to get baptized at his home and he lived out in the boonies, like way, way, way out there. Like it was an over like a all day bus ride to get from the town where we lived to the town that had a bus that would get you to his place once every other day, oh kind gosh. of place. Um, and he lived out on this like little farm on a river. In probably beautiful, it was beautiful, amazingly beautiful, yeah. and uh, it was during the middle of winter, and. He wanted to be baptized in the river, which meant we would have to break through the ice to baptize him. Mm-hmm. And that had been my dream. Like, we talked earlier about how, as a little boy, I wanted to serve in Russia, and I wanted to baptize someone in a frozen river. Like, mm-hmm. that was my absolute dream. And um, I we I didn't want to pressure him and say, hey, I want to baptize you or anything like that. So we just asked him, like, Hey, like, like, who would you like to baptize you? And yada yada. And he said he wanted me to baptize him. And so I, did, I kept my little girlish scream of joy <laughs> inside, but it happened on the inside. Um, it wasn't girlish; it was manly and deep, like a bear. But um, I was super, super excited. And then we also got permission from the mission president to bring the office elders with us. Cause it would be like a, a week long thing to go baptize him. It took two days to get out there. We need to baptize him. But then the next bus didn't leave to bring us home for another couple days. So, uh, we go into Moscow to pick up the office elders and this one office elder, the nicest elder in the mission, probably, um, super, super nice, really kind, hardworking, kind of shy, but he had spent his whole mission really, really trying to be a good missionary and be really, really obedient. And he had not seen any success and he had not been able to baptize anybody. And he was going home like the next week. And he felt so happy that he was going to be able to go and see this guy that he taught get baptized because he was there for so many of his lessons online. They taught him online. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, he was just happy he was going to be there, and he was going to ordain him or confirm him member of the church. Uh, and he, yeah, he was super excited. So we get in uh, on the metro, and we're headed to the train station in Moscow. And I just felt the spirit tell me like, "You're not supposed to baptize him. This elder is supposed to do it." And I was like, "Oh no." I am doing this. Oh, no, this is my dream. This is my thing, okay? <laughs> this is totally my thing. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I just felt awful. I'm like, no, this elder is supposed to do this. And um, I, like, fought it for a few more minutes. And then I was like, no, this is what I'm, like, he is supposed to do this. I'm not supposed to do this. And so I walked over to him, like, hey, elder, I feel that, you are supposed to baptize Sergei. And you you saw, like, I, I saw, like, the the tears kind of welp in his eyes. And he was like, I would love that. And oh, my gosh. 
gosh. And I was like, I'm so happy for you, dang it. And then I <laughs> walked back to my spot. I was really happy for him. That's so um, And then my mission president talked to me later and said, like, that had meant a lot to him. Uh, and so that was a really cool moment. That that moment in the metro is almost more powerful powerful for me than watching him get baptized in the river. Right. Yeah. Um, as cool as that was, because there are, I argue, I would like to say that there are posit that there are few things more beautiful in this earth, are on this earth than being on the Russian steppe in the middle of winter, overlooking a frozen river mm-hmm. in the morning, like right as the sun comes up and the snow. It like is covering the whole step and, and the sky is bright blue and the sky is bright blue and it's like like the the snow is like twinkling mm-hmm. from the sun and uh and like the the mist is like fro like frozen mist is coming up and oh it is the most beautiful thing mm-hmm. it's so pretty yeah it's so so beautiful mm-hmm. but and like going out and then breaking the hole in the river that morning and then watching uh, this elder baptized Sergei was was an awesome thing, but seeing his face when like I listened to that prompting as frustrating as it was for me in the moment uh, was was a cool, really rewarding thing because that was his only his only chance, that was his mm-hmm. only experience. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, well we have talked a long time. This is our longest episode, probably longest episode ever. We beat a record. Um, do you want to hit our loves? Yes. Okay, so we were going to do loves and less than loves, but we decided just to do loves because we love Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say that I love the people. And um, at first it was really difficult because of the language and we didn't understand. And and not only did we not understand the language, but we didn't understand the culture coming in. And it was just like, I don't know. It was It's hard to love people that you don't understand. And so the more we came to, or I guess I could say I, because this is my thing, but the more I came to understand the language and understand the spirit um, and the culture, the more I was able to love them. And they really are such beautiful people. They um, have such big hearts. And um, one of the elders in our mission described them like a pineapple. Um, they are, and this was a Russian, wasn't it? Yeah. Said like, it? Yeah. That they're like, like prickly on the outside, but soft and sweet on, in the inside. I didn't want to point out to him that the core of pineapples are also really hard and you can't eat them. <laughs> okay. But besides that, <laughs> um, but it's, I mean, it's true on the outside, they don't maybe smile in public or they don't talk in public. Um, and they might come across as difficult or, um, shy but once you can break through that prickly outside, they are the kindest people. And they have such big hearts. And they're so genuine and they're so honest. And they just want to love you. Right. So and, and I obvi- love, love, love that. Yeah. And, and my love is also something, a particular trait of the Russian people. Because I think you, you find wonderful people all over the world, right? Like there yeah. Are, and there are also crappy people from every world, oh, yeah. every country and every group. And so we're not... Not blind to the fact right. that there are jerk Russians, just like there are jerk Americans or jerk Brits or, you know, they're jerks everywhere, but they're also wonderful people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And every culture t- tends to have its its um, 
really strong characteristics that are admirable. And the thing, one of the things that I find most admirable about the Russian culture and Russian people is like their fierce sense of loyalty. Mm-hmm. Like it's super hard to become friends with a Russian when you yeah. like to really become a, a close friend. But if you can get to that point where you, that you feel close, like they will go to war for you. They are really like, loyal. They will cut people for yeah. you. Like mm-hmm. there's, Quick story. I'm so sorry, hon. It's been so long. <laughs> you are telling so many stories. I love, I love talking about this I stuff. Know, I know, I know. And no one asks me about it. I so. know. Um, we were, there's a, uh, a Russian holiday called Dien Desiatnikov. It's like Russian paratroopers day where everyone just, all the, all the soldiers get wasted and they do terrible things and not all soldiers, yada, yada, but there are a lot of people who get wasted and do terrible things. And so we got a text from our mission president early in the morning uh, like everyone needs to get back to their apartments by noon because the, like people get hurt on this day. And so we were rushing back trying to get to our apartment and we were in a different city. And so we had to jump on Elektrishka, which are like these, these trains. We had to go back to our, our, our town where we were based. And there we were sharing a little train, not like a booth, I guess, with this Russian dude who was drunk or on his way to getting drunk. He was not quite drunk, but on his way. Um, and we were just talking and he felt like this immediate bond with us. And, um, this dude, this other dude like gets in a fight with a conductor on the same train as us. And the conductor like kicks, like literally opened the door and kicked the dude out of the train. Oh my gosh. And, uh, he, he looks over, he's like, Look, this is what we're gonna do. This is Russia. This is Dian Desiatnikov. We have to work together. And so he like started like strategizing how we were gonna get each other home. And like what? he was like on our side, totally invested in getting us home. Like, he was like That's gonna go so to bat cute. for us. That's so funny. Um, and that was just like so. It perfectly embodied my experience of the Russian people. Like they were hard to kind of break open, but as soon as you develop that friendship, like you will never find a more loyal friend than than the russians like they are just they have that bone of loyalty like that loyalty bone so deep in them um that if you can unlock it they'll be your best friends uh so love love a russian how about that <laughs> love a russian <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well i'm just so glad that i had the opportunity to serve a mission because it just strengthened me so much spiritually and i feel like it really just matured me there's so much about who i am that i can't even imagine not having if I didn't serve a mission. And if I didn't choose to follow the spirit when the spirit said, hey, maybe you should think about going on a mission. And I'm just so, 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 so grateful that I did it. And it was so scary and so like um, intimidating. It was brand new. I had no idea what to expect, um, but it was really the best. It was amazing. And, um, you know, sometimes I wondered, why am I even here? No one wants to listen to me. Um, or am I doing any good? But on those days, I really just had to remember that, yes, I am doing good. I'm planting seeds. And if all else fails, like it was for me and I, my testimony of Jesus Christ was strengthened so much. My relationship with him and with my heavenly father was 
strengthened incredibly. And I feel like that is where I developed a real relationship with them. And I just can't imagine my life without having had that opportunity. And I know that not everybody will get an opportunity like that to to give up time and basically everything to go and serve the Lord in that way. And um, I just think that if if you can make any type of sacrifice to whether that's a small amount of time or um, in any other way that you could just consecrate a portion of your life to learning more about the gospel, to sharing your testimony with someone else. Um, because I do know that in sharing your testimony, it's strengthened. And I honestly, like we have opportunities here on the podcast to share our testimony, but outside of this podcast, I, I often wonder like, wow, am I doing this enough? Like I definitely need to be sharing my testimony more because, um, I know for a fact that as I share my testimony, it strengthens. And I know that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, they love me and they love you. And they absolutely want everybody to hear the true gospel. And they want everybody to accept it and to feel their love. So. Well, we hope you enjoyed this. Sorry it was so long. Actually, did. I'm not sorry. Don't be sorry. Don't apologize for your experiences. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we love you, and we hope that you enjoyed this. And if you didn't, uh, I'm sorry. No, I just literally said yeah. don't apologize. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, we love you guys. Keep the faith. <laughs>